Welcome to Brand on Purpose, the podcast dedicated to uncovering the untold stories behind the most impactful purpose-driven companies and organizations. I'm your host, Aaron Quitkin. Today, I'm excited to be joined by four guests for a very special panel showcasing the work of brands who pivoted their businesses to provide critical support to their communities during the COVID-19 pandemic. My guests are Jane Pryor, the Chief Marketing Officer of Coconut Water Company, Vitacoco, Matt Bullock, the CEO and founder of tent and outdoor event signage manufacturer Tentcraft, John Kreidler, Chief Officer and co-founder of Minneapolis-based craft spirits distillery Tattersall Distillery, and Kasumi Quinlan, head of community at nonprofit meal kit company Lemon Tree. Jane, Matt, John, Kasumi, welcome to Brand on Purpose. And thank you again for your very generous time today, because I know that you're doing so many other things during this time. So we're going to start with just a very quick round robin question. Currently, at the time of this recording, there are more than 614,000 cases of coronavirus in the United States alone. I'd like each of you to tell me a little bit about your business overall in normal times, but more importantly, how you've pivoted to provide aid during the outbreak. We're going to start with Jane, and just for our listeners, this is a Zoom panel. This is the first time we're doing this. We're grabbing the audio from it, but we can see everybody's beautiful faces, except I'm not included in that beautiful part. So we're able to kind of see each other virtually. But if you hear certain sounds like dogs barking or emails dinging or trains or anything like that, just forgive us. This is not like the most professional of recordings, but it might be one of the most important recordings we do during this time. So Jane, why don't you jump in? Again, Jane, Chief Marketing Officer with Vita or Vita Coco, depending on how you like to say the company's name, Coconut Water. Hi, yeah. Thanks for having me. So just a quick overview. We're an independently owned and operated beverage company based out of New York City. Our founding brand is Vita Coco Coconut Water, but we also have two additional brands, Runa Clean Energy Drink and Ever and Ever, which is a sustainable water brand. And typically in our business, we're really focused on providing accessible nutrition to consumers and really doing that while protecting the communities that we source from and of course our planet. And that's what our mission is on a day-to-day basis. Obviously, these are completely unprecedented times and our business has been profoundly impacted by the COVID crisis. We are, however, though, one of the companies that have really benefited from a surge in demand due to this crisis. So as consumers stock up on shelf-stable, nutritious products for their pantries, we have been one of the brands that have really benefited seeing significant increases in sales and channels from Walmart and Costco to also the e-commerce channels, in particular, Amazon and Walmart.com. So this happened, obviously, at the beginning of last month, we started to see these increases in demand and we really had to take a hard look at ourselves and we had a bit of a crisis of conscience, to be honest. And we made this decision while we're one of the brands benefiting at this stage to take the pandemic profits, as we're calling them, and reinvest them into the communities that are most vulnerable at this time. You know, we saw New York City schools close and that has a profound impact on children who rely on the city schools for food and for nutrition. And that's why we selected Feeding America and No Kid Hungry as the two charitable organizations that we made our million dollar donation to. So we felt it was the right thing to do. It was sort of our obligation, again, as a company who's benefiting from this. But at the same time, we don't really know what the future holds. So we've also had to think about the long term of our business and have some contingency plans around that. So and the last point I'll make is in addition to, you know, 
the donation, we've been really trying to find places where we can make product accessible to either healthcare workers or frontline workers who could benefit at this moment. And of course, not forgetting the communities that we source in the Philippines and Sri Lanka that have enabled us to keep our supply chain running. We amazingly have had very little disruption to our supply chain. And that's thanks to the amazing work in the communities that we source. And we've really made sure that we also had some efforts there to support those communities. So that's a little bit about what we've been up to trying to manage through this crisis. Thanks, Jane. Matt? Hi, I'm Matt Bullock. I'm the president and founder of Tentcraft. So T-E-N-T-C-R-A-F-T. We manufacture, during normal times, pop-up style tents with full digital printing. So not a white tent that you would rent, but a tent that a brand would use for an outdoor promotion or to sponsor a marathon or a sporting event. Vitacoco sounded familiar. Jane, you are a customer, so I really appreciate the business. We produced a tent for you guys in 2018. But as you might imagine, the event business very quickly went to zero. South by Southwest was canceled. NCAA Final Four was canceled. A big show called Sea Otter, that's a big mountain bike expo and race, was canceled. And in normal times, we do a lot of tents at different sporting events. We'll have a fan village or some sort of sampling program. And that went away almost immediately. I also had been following the news about the need for medical overflow. And because we're one of the only U.S. manufacturers of this type of products, actually, we're we're the only U.S. manufacturer of pop-up style tents. Everyone else is outsourced to Asia or Romania or South America. We were able to really quickly pivot and create some medically focused products, specifically some drive-through screening shelters, the VA. So I'm a veteran by virtue of my service in the Virginia Army National Guard. I went to UVA, Aaron, I know you and Kasumi went to George Washington, but we were in the VA system and the VA had early access to emergency funds. So we were able to work with them on some products. Uh, We also created mobile infirmaries, some quarantine tents, different screening tents of different sizes and shapes. And then we've also been working on a prototype and it feels morbid, but it's in need for a cot, you know, that we can make with kind of the aluminum extrusion that we already have for our tent products. We've worked on a UV disinfecting solution for masks because we use UV light for testing and for printing. We pivoted away from that because it turns out that there isn't as much of a need for that as we thought there was with kind of the supply chain for masks coming online. People are squeamish about disinfecting them. But we're in the position that we're a manufacturer because we manufacture everything. We can do other stuff. We just need help kind of figuring out what that stuff is and who the customers are. But I really appreciate you inviting, inviting us on, on the podcast, and it's really great to meet everyone else. Matt, I, I'm speaking back of everyone listening to you and to Jane. I appreciate everything that you guys are doing. And over to John, who is our distiller, among other things, I'm sure. Hey, this is John Carther. I'm with Tattersall Distilling. I'm chief officer and co-founder. Tattersall, we're a micro distillery based out of Minneapolis. We produce a massive array of spirits, about 30 different unique spirits, all from local grains, all natural ingredients. And we distribute products around the country. Then we also run a cocktail room out of the distillery as well. And so when COVID started to pop up, we shifted pretty quickly. Initially, it was for just internal use for the cocktail room and where we have that setting, we're bringing in a lot of people and having a lot of contact. And so we started producing sanitizer on a small level just for our own personal use. And as things started to pick up 
we actually shut the cocktail room down pretty quickly before the state went into a shelter in place. And before we were told we needed to shut down, we just didn't feel it was safe for our employees. Shortly thereafter, we essentially laid off about two thirds of our staff. Once the state did close down all bars and restaurants. And so that kind of shut down about two thirds of our revenue streams. And so we shifted pretty quickly. We shut down all production in the distillery and, and started making hand sanitizer. And that is the unique thing with a distillery is we have a license where we can bring in ethanol and we can produce ethanol. And that is the main ingredient for hand sanitizer. There's a World Health Organization approved formula and it's 80% alcohol, 80% ethanol. And, and what they found is the ethanol is what is killing the virus. And so with that ability, we shifted pretty quickly and we created a coalition with two other distilleries. So we were calling All Hands Minnesota. And what that is, is we're bringing in ethanol basically by the tanker load now. We started the first few weeks, we produced about a thousand gallons of sanitizer. And now we're producing probably about up to 50,000 gallons a week. And what we're doing there is we're supplying that first and foremost to homeless shelters, to nursing homes, to hospitals, really the high risk parts of the state where we're seeing the most damage being done. We're getting it into the hands of first responders across the state. We're getting into the hands of a lot of the large companies across the country now that are making a lot of the products, a lot of the PPE that's helping in the fight. Medtronic is a huge customer of ours that we've just been pushing our product like crazy. But it's, it's a lot of unique customers too. The Betty Ford Foundation called this up and you talk about a funny combo, a distillery helping out the Betty Ford Foundation, but it's you know just like everybody else, they need it too. We're just ramping all hands on deck now. We're producing as fast as we can. It's been a crazy shift. The, the facility looks a lot different now and it's just trucks and tankers coming in all day long and getting product out as fast as we can at this point. Amazing. Thanks, John. 50,000 gallons a week. Yep. That's incredible. All right, Kasumi, over to you. And just so everybody knows, Kasumi, I do have favorites because Kasumi and I both went to GW about 30 years apart, but I do have great admiration for my alma mater. So I'm going to do a quick GW shout out. I've got a lecture, actually a, a virtual lecture with GW in about an hour. So very cool. Professor Warren's class, actually talking all about brand purpose. And I will talk about you guys because I have a whole section called Saints and Sinners. These are saints, obviously. Okay, There's good. plenty of sinners, sadly. But okay, Kasumi, over to you. I'll stop talking. All right. Thanks, Erin, so much for having Lemon Tree on the podcast. I am head of community at Lemon Tree, and we are a smaller startup nonprofit, and our mission is family dinner. We deliver all the ingredients that a parent needs to cook an easy dinner for just $3 a plate. And we deliver to schools and community centers across Brooklyn. But when coronavirus closed schools, closed most businesses, it also forced us to pause our normal operations and we couldn't gather volunteers the way we used to to pack our grocery bags and send them out to our communities. When that happened, we knew we needed to quickly find another way to have an impact because a lot of our families are families struggling with food insecurity and we wanted to make sure we could still do something good in that area. So after speaking to our contacts in the nonprofit food world, partners like City Harvest or God's Love We Deliver, we realized there was a serious need for volunteers. Emergency food organizations are facing record demand right now, but their volunteer turnout is lower than ever. 
As New Yorkers lose their jobs overnight due to this crisis, more and more families are being forced to turn to food pantries. But their volunteer base, which traditionally relies on older folks, retired folks, those people just aren't showing up for valid reasons. We're a pretty small team, so it wasn't hard for us to switch gears completely. And we came together to launch a website called In It Together NYC, which is an easy way for healthy, eligible New Yorkers to get matched with food pantries at risk of closing. Volunteers can sign up at inittogether.nyc, and then we match them with upcoming volunteer shifts at one of our 4D food partners, and we try to take into account their schedule and their location to make sure it's convenient for them. We've signed up over, um, over 1,400 volunteers. It's amazing. Thank you so much. And there's definitely some kind of crossover between what Vita Coco is doing and what you guys are doing when it comes to food insecurity. And it's interesting hearing all the different organizations because some of you, business stopped overnight. Others, like what Jane was saying, like you couldn't keep up with demand, right? Jane, the decision to reinvest $1 million of profit, easy, hard, and just be honest. I mean, it was probably very easy for you, but these are big decisions because at the same time, you're also making decisions about and maybe you're not because your business got a little bit of a boost at first. But these other decisions about rifts, layoffs, furloughs, going part-time and things like that. Yeah, absolutely. Honestly, the decision was pretty easy. We're lucky enough to be sort of independently owned and founder run. So the founder of Vitacoco is still our CEO. So when we actually, the marketing team had this idea, we gave him a call and we said, you know, we think that this is the right thing to do. And he was 100% on board immediately. He was like, I've been feeling the need to do something. I just hadn't figured out where to channel that. And we put it together within 48 hours and made the donation and wrote the check. So it was really very fast. I to think your point is an important one though. Yes, we're benefiting right now, but we're already starting to see some slowdowns in demand in certain channels as consumers stop going to the grocery store and are not in convenience stores or drug stores. So we expect that this will have an impact on our business this year. We probably won't end up where we were hoping to, but at the same time, at this moment in time, we were in a position to do something about it. So that felt like the right thing to do. So that's the decision we made. And just so we can honor your founder, what is his name? It's Mike Kerbin. Mike Kerbin? Yep. Thank you, Mike Kerbin, because it seems like it's a no-brainer, but I've been doing this for 30 years, and I've worked with companies in all sorts of different predicaments and situations, and you can't assume human beings, by their very nature, always do the right thing. So I appreciate you, and I appreciate him doing the right thing. I think that's amazing. Well, thank you. Um, I want to go back to the tent business, because I know there was a little bit of a crossover there as well with coconut water. So Matt, We've done a lot and we do a lot in events and we saw our event business dry up as well. In fact, we work with Ironman and they've pivoted to this virtual race series and they're also doing, they're helping in the communities in which they serve as well with PPEs and things like that. How do you keep the lights on in a business that stops literally? It's not like a slow roll stop, which we're all used to ups and downs in our businesses, but it's like a dead stop. It's a speed bump in the road. You're a dead stop right now. How do you manage your cash flow, keep people motivated, maintain morale? and also manage for the future post-pandemic because you're doing amazing things. And without what you're, you know, we need people like you. And it's a U.S. company. Like you said, you're the only U.S. company can do what you're doing in terms of these pop-up tents. Aaron, I appreciate the question. And I wish I had it all figured out. I think the key for us is to pivot. Our first pivot bore fruit, which was to really focus on the medical industry and healthcare applications that, frankly, we had never 
targeted before. There was a cool story with one of our partners is at a company called ZoomInfo, which is a database service where you can download different contact information. And we had hit our limit of the number of contacts that we could pull down. And we asked to buy maybe 15,000 more credits and there's a cost for that. And then our, our marketing manager, Luke Mason said, hey, this is what we're trying to do. We have the ability to create products that are in need. Can you help us out? Very quickly, it went up through their chain and they came back. They said, we'll give you 50,000 credits. And so that allowed us to send emails to hospital administrators, to VA hospitals, to supply chain people at hospitals and tell them, it's like, hey, we can manufacture this stuff. We can do it very quickly. It can be printed with your hospital name or with instructions on what you want people to do if it's enter or exit. And so maybe we were a week or two early in recognizing the huge need for this type of product, at least in the US. I'm, I'm kind of an avid follower of the news. And so I had seen this hitting Italy very hard, obviously China, and had kind of kept abreast of what was happening in other countries. I think we were slightly ahead of the curve as far as having products in the market that were needed when the wave did hit the US. But where we are now is that we need to pull another rabbit out of the hat, which is something that I've said, because frankly, the demand for these products are slowing down. Most of the healthcare systems in the US haven't been overwhelmed. So kind of the mobile infirmaries aren't being purchased like they were a few weeks ago, which is great for all of us, right, as citizens of the US. And also the screening still isn't widely available. So it's not that there's such a surge of screening that everyone needs these screening stations because we just can't get screened right now. So we have to create some more products. And I've been with my VP team and with my bigger team, we've been having brainstorming sessions. We've got a Slack channel devoted to new ideas. And there's a short-term component, a medium-term component, and a long-term component to what's something we just want to do right now to fill in the gaps. Uh, Next week, we'll start manufacturing face masks. I think the face mask demand will also start to slow down as kind of the industrial might of the world is devoted towards producing the real masks. The ones we'll be making next week are the Johns Hopkins design with basic kind of the clear vinyl, the foam, and the looks like underwear elastic around the top. But that's a way for me to keep people working and really to buy us another four to six weeks. You know, there's not frankly a lot of money in it but I can pay people salaries. I can keep the lights on. I can chip away at a little bit of our overhead to give us kind of six weeks more of runway to come to the next pivot. That PPP loan program will be very important if any of us are able to get it. Wall Street Journal just flashed a news alert that it could run out of money um, as soon as today. It was first come, first serve. So that's something that could buy some runway. But because we were maybe a little early, we kind of got ourselves six weeks of work because we're U.S. manufacturers and able to do this stuff really quickly. But I don't expect events to come back in June or July. I just don't think people are going to be very excited about going to a concert and jumping in the mosh pit with a bunch of strangers. And our products are typically used at kind of live events. So we need to continue to figure out some other stuff. And I welcome ideas. Well, you're an interesting business because you've been able to have a win-win, at least for now, like you said, right? You're keeping people employed and you're also contributing to the community. Just real quick follow-up question. You have a unique background. You're a vet. You've been in National Guard. You've been in active duty. Were there things that you've learned in that part of your life experience that helped prepare you for what you're dealing with today as a founder of a company, a privately held company, and as someone dealing with this pandemic? Maybe. I was enlisted in the National Guard during college, and probably the experience that I draw from the most is just being able to relate to kind of a wide variety of people there is an element of training and of preparedness, but I think a lot of times 
leaders just have to kind of figure out things on the fly. I, I heard a quote that I liked that panic is contagious, but so is leadership. And so I do think the company needs to know that we're reacting in real time. We're working on a plan. We care about everyone. We care about the broader community. But I mean, for me to talk about my military experience would be a different, most of the time I was a pretty bad soldier, but I'm sure buried away somewhere in between all the stupid stuff I had to do, there were potentially some lessons that I could draw on. Well, I think everyone, including you, we know all of our medals tested during this time and you've all risen to the occasion. And I know that this actually, we're all used to like planning in weeks or months or in quarters, and now we're planning in days, which is challenging. And over to you, John, I've never run a distillery. I've maybe visited a few in my time. I love Minneapolis, like two months of the year, just to be clear. (laughs) July and August mostly. But how hard was it? I think you said 48 hours. Did you say that? You were able to move from making booze to making hand sanitizer in 48 hours. Did I hear that right? I think somebody else used 48 hours, but we moved pretty darn quick. And the process isn't really... We'll give it to you. Well, I'll take it. The process (laughs) isn't that terribly difficult or different, I should say. But it's really... I think what we saw every time we'd make a plan, we'd make a very large plan and the next day it wasn't big enough. And so every day was just bigger, bigger, bigger. And how do we ramp up? How do we continue to grow this? And really the plan and the strategy changes almost daily. I was just telling somebody who was in here this morning and they're a giant logistics company and they're helping us ship product around the world right now. And I was telling them, yeah, every morning my wife says to me, so what do you got planned today? And what's on the agenda? And it doesn't matter because a half an hour in, everything changes. You're thrown complete curveballs and you have to refigure and just solve problems all day. But yeah, it's been a crazy month to say the least. Well, and what most people aren't really talking about is that the number one goal at first is survival. And that goal doesn't go away. It just gets kind of kicked down the road because you're in that in-between stage. So you're doing what you're doing now, but then you could pivot again and change again. And I don't mean to get too personal with you, John. We just met about 47 minutes ago, not even. But what are you doing to kind of keep your mental game solid to make sure that you're not only taking care of your people and your community, but also their self-care, their self-compassion? Like what advice do you have for others going through this? Because there are many others going through this, other leaders. I think it's just what we talk amongst ourselves and to our employees is you have to remind yourself that we're in a really fortunate situation that we are able to do something and we are able to help. I'm sure there's some people who think that they're stuck and they can't do anything and they can't help. And we're luckily we're able to do something and it's a lot of work and it's stressful, but I'd much rather be part of the solution and helping out. And eventually this will end and we can sit down and have a cocktail and relax. But until that time, it's just keep plugging along and do what you can. And you're so busy. Literally, your phone is ringing off the hook. We can hear your phone (laughs) ringing off the hook. It's awesome. Yeah, it hasn't stopped (laughs) ringing for a few weeks now. I get it. But for good reason. Yeah. Good reason. So, Kasumi, going back to you, my favorite GW person. So, it's interesting because your organization already is a nonprofit. You serve people who have food insecurity and who are underserved. What are you seeing that's different about this state of play versus what you do every day, which is already amazing work, but what's different? And what is different potentially in a good way and or in a worse way? And how are you dealing with that? I think maybe I'll start with 
the negatives to end on a positive note. I would say that this, as we've all noted, is a really unprecedented crisis. I think 16 million people across the country have filed for unemployment. And that means, to quote one of our partners, actually a tsunami of need coming into our food pantries. And it doesn't take much searching to find all these articles online. I think I read one yesterday in San Antonio, 10,000 families lined up in their cars waiting to get access to the food bank. And of course, food banks aren't equipped to serve those kind of numbers. We heard from one of our partners in Brooklyn, they were used to serving 200 people per day. Now they're serving 1,000 heads of households. And that was a couple weeks ago, so I can't imagine what it's like right now. So the difference is just the sheer numbers, I think, and the strain that it's putting on the emergency food system and the social support system we have in place. On a different note, though, I think something that's really astounded me and something I notice every day in the work that I do is people are really willing to help. I think that people are aware of what's going on. You can't really escape it, but people aren't burying their heads in the sand. They want to get out there. They want to help, whether it's just donating, whether it's staying up to date on the news, or if it's volunteering. And the support that we've seen from communities, like I spend a lot of time in my job doing social media outreach, looking at the local efforts that are already in place to see how we can work with neighborhoods that have formed their own mutual aid groups. And it's really amazing to see just the grassroots efforts of neighbors popping up to help each other and organizing impromptu food pantries, like literally a refrigerator on the sidewalk filled with food and neighbors will come by and stock it once in a while. And seeing that sort of thing is really amazing. And I guess the silver lining on this cloud. We'll take silver linings. We can't get enough of them, I don't think, right now. And do you think in a weird way that when we get to the new normal, whatever that is, and that's going to be the next question, that because of your work now deeper in the community, there'll be more demand for Lemon Tree because there's more awareness because you're there in this crisis for now. But there's unfortunately in your line of work, there's always a crisis, but don't you think there'll be even more demand and more awareness, which actually is kind of a good thing as long as you can meet that demand? Definitely. I think it's definitely a double-edged sword in the sense that the impacts of this crisis will be felt for years to come financially for many families. And that does mean that it's more likely that there will be more low-income families and it's more likely that they'll need to seek out affordable means of accessing food. The good news is Lemon Tree is there for that. So happy in the sense that more families might be able to find us and that we can serve more families. But our goal is really not just to serve customers, but the ideal world is that we don't have to serve them. So we'll see how that plays out over the next few years. But right now, just doing the best we can in our communities and hopefully once things sort of return to normal, we will have kind of, we'll still be the team we always were. We'll be able to serve those communities better than ever. We're going to stop just for a moment to take a quick break and we'll be right back. All right, coming back to you, Kasumi, sorry. While I have you, what do you think will forever change in your organization post-pandemic? What is it that you've learned or a process? And everybody else can start thinking about their answer while you're answering. Sorry to put you on the spot. But because you know you went to GW, I know that you're going to be able to answer on this. You're qualified, exactly. But what do you think that fundamentally will change once we get through this as relates to your organization and the way you serve your communities? Definitely. That's a great question. I think that, so for those of you who don't know, Lemon Tree is a really small organization. We're, 
at the moment a team of four full-time employees and we do have contractors that help us out with different aspects but as a really small team and as a sort of scrappy nonprofit, we're used to changing quickly there's fires happening every day i'm sure this is true for many business owners but we're constantly pivoting we're constantly hearing from our users they don't like this okay we're going to change this next week we're a totally different product so we did have that kind of foundation to start with but this kind of pivot has been something totally different and i think it's been really amazing to see this team how we came together and just put our brains together put ourselves to work and came up with something else we could do in a really targeted way. And it didn't take much brainstorming. It didn't take much reconfiguring because they had experience with community. So I could do public relations, media outreach, our operations, organizing volunteers to support Lemon Tree. So they're able to use that much and quickly just do it on a really, really more massive scale. And I think that looking back on this as a team, we'll be able to see how flexible and kind of innovative we really are. And I think that's a huge strength and something we'll carry with us moving forward. Amazing. Jane, how about you? Don't forget to unmute yourself. Okay. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> There's some really interesting points that can be made. And I, I, again, feel sort of lucky that we were in a similar position that we are used to being very quick and nimble. And that's sort of what we pride ourselves on. And in this situation, we're able to do the same thing. So I think like organizationally having to figure out working from home and working with multiple other priorities and some of those things might shift culturally how we operate our business. We have historically been a very familial style culture and used to that day-to-day -day interaction in the office. And we've been able to pivot and find new ways to connect and interact with each other as a team. And I think that's been a testament to sort of the leadership and organization and how we've been able to sort of really hold the culture together. So I think that might shift sort of how we do business together post COVID. And then I think on the brand side, again, we're sort of fortunate that we've always took an approach of real transparency with our consumers and always sort of like looking for ways to add value to them. And I think that will become kind of increasingly important for brands. I think the notion of brands with purpose will continue to drive how brands interact with their consumers. And I think for this, for us, it's put an, a finer point on that. And I think it'll continue to drive our efforts in the future, maybe more than it has in the past. So I think a lot of very positives will come out of this from our side. Yeah, I mean, you're already quite purposeful and like you said, transparent, but it sounds like it will maybe double down for the organization going forward. Yeah. And to be honest, like a lot of what we do is behind the scenes. We don't talk to our consumers about it. So this is actually the first time that we've come out with a big sweeping initiative that is very consumer facing. Like I said, a lot of what we do is on the ground in the communities that we source and we don't talk too often about it with consumers. And when we do, they're very much engaged and very excited about it. So I think this is sort of just reinforcing to us that those values that we hold are important to our consumers and that we really need to make sure that we're telling those stories and again, helping to add value to our consumers. Well, and I appreciate you putting a finer point on that because I've said this on this podcast many times before, which is PR is an outcome of purpose. It's not the purpose of <laughs> purpose. <laughs> 100%. said. that's what you just said. And I love that because it's who you are. John, what about you? What do you think is going to change who knows when this is going to end? We know it's going to end and it's probably going to be a dimmer, not like a light switch. And we know we're going to get back to some sort of new way of working. That's not the way of working that we're doing now, right? But it's a new normal. What is it that you'll bring with you in this new normal in this post-COVID-19 world that you've gotten from this experience? I mean, it's really internally, You in times of crisis like this, you really see people's character, both internally and outside of the community. And just seeing people step up is pretty amazing. And so 
we have a really strong team. We've been able to shift quickly, and I think it just further highlights, though, it's kind of a lot of what Jane's talking about, and it's, it's a bigger, it's more what the brand really stands for. And it's, you can say what the brand stands for and put marketing campaigns behind it and do all that, but when it really comes down to it, it's your actions that speak a lot louder than any words that you can say. And so it's just continuing to show how what we're doing is more than just selling, making spirits and making cocktails, and it's showing how intertwined we really are in the community and what we can do. And it's, we're not alone. Everybody's, you're seeing a lot, a lot of companies doing some amazing things. And a, a lot of it's not really being noticed, but it is a pretty cool thing to see people come together and all kind of marching in line for the same cause. Matt? Yeah. So this is Matt with Tencraft. Aaron, it's a great question. I echo a lot of what others have said. So for us, I'll put it in two buckets. What you said, Aaron, really resonated with me around purpose. So I, I think there's been a big cultural impact for our company. And I also believe there's been some really important business learnings that are going to take us into the future, into the new normal, whenever that arrives. But our products are used at fun events. And so printed tents for a brand sponsoring a marathon, whatnot. And so I've never been able to really get fulfillment out of our products themselves. I think our customers are cool. They're marketers and they're doing fun, interesting things and they're wild and crazy. But it wasn't like we were manufacturing bulletproof vests or something like that that really directly helps people. And so when we were able to pivot, because we were one of the only manufacturers that could quickly create these healthcare products, our culture really rallied behind that. Where in our state, there's been a shelter-in-place order, but for us to manufacture things, we still need people to come in. We're deemed an essential manufacturer as part of the medical supply chain, but there's still a lot of uncertainty because people have kids that are home. We need people to cut and sew and machine aluminum and assemble it. There's no getting away from actually showing up to manufacture things. And then because of the initial onslaught, we're working really long hours every Saturday, 10 to 12 hour days. And I think it would have been tough to kind of inspire the culture to do that, especially with so much uncertainty happening outside our walls, if we weren't producing a product that we knew was in demand. And so I think there will be a point where this will probably be a seminal event in all of our lives, but I think there will be a point where it was kind of the tent craft before COVID and then the tent craft after where the people here, we figured it out and we worked hard for each other and then also for the healthcare workers. And so there's just kind of a lot of pride in being able to help. And then on, on the business side, it's really hammered home to me, the importance of products. We've always said, well, we can do more than just tents. We can cut, we can sew, we can digitally print, we can machine aluminum, but no one cares about capabilities, especially when times are uncertain, you have to have products. And so by creating products, then we were able to find customers for those products. It's tough to find customers for capabilities, if that makes sense, at least in my world. And it also showed our ability to really target verticals. Prior to this, we did a lot of pay-per-click marketing, and then our outreach was primarily focused on really big companies like Vitacoco and advertising agencies. And it kind of proved to us that we can develop this capability of choosing a vertical, having a product for that vertical and just hitting it hard. And I think that's something that is going to continue to serve us well as we create new products for new markets on the other side of this. I think that's well said. And one of the things that's been very odd, but also strangely pretty amazing for me is that even though me and my team were so far apart, I've actually never felt as close to my team than ever before in my years of doing this. You know, my own agency, we've been around almost 15 years and 
we've been through a lot together and it's just such a strange feeling to be so distant and so far apart yet feel so bonded. I'm sure everybody feels quite similarly and it's an odd feeling, but it's a good feeling and I'll take it. And hopefully I'm going to also kind of bank it for the future so I can remember that moment because it's a warm, amazing moment that I think we can draw on next time because crises don't end. They just kind of morph into other things. So I'm sure you guys are feeling some of that as well. Now I have one last non-business related lightning round question. I'm going to start in reverse again with Kasumi, which is what is the one thing personally that you miss the most that you can't wait to get back to? No answer is too shallow or too silly. I'm telling you anything. What is the one thing that you miss the most that you, and you can say, you know, I want to see my mom or whatever, but that's fine. Like that's, we know that. But what is one thing, maybe it's kind of a, something in life that is a gift that is part of being very grateful. What is it that you want to get back to? Wow, that's a big question. And there's so many things. It's hard to take one off the top of my head. I would probably say just, you know, like when it's a weekend morning and you don't have much to do and you decide to take a stroll around the neighborhood, maybe pop into a coffee shop, grab a croissant and just kind of dawdle around. I miss that feeling of being so easygoing and trying new pastries and just walking around and feeling like there isn't much to worry about rather than going outside and kind of being laden with anxiety about coronavirus or if people are going to yell at you because you're not wearing a mask. (laughs) I love that. That's a great answer. It's something that we probably took for granted that you'll no longer ever take for granted again. Definitely. How about you, Jane? Oh, I think it's a social moment. I think I want to join John in his distillery and have a cocktail with some friends. We've definitely done some Zoom happy hours and whatnot. As much as we are figuring out the virtual world, it's just not the same. So looking forward to that. Cool. John? I was basically going to say the exact same thing. We've been doing virtual happy hours with our family and friends, and it's not even the talking. It's just being in the room with people. And it's not even having to say anything, but it's just the human contact is really, really missed. Matt? To build upon what John said, the physical manifestation of community in your neighborhood to run into one of my dad friends and give his kids a hug and give him a high five. There's kind of a great neighborhood bar called the Little Fleet. It's kind of where there are these food trucks that all pull up and it's got this indoor outdoor vibe and great bartenders and food and you know the kids can run around and there's always live music. And you know, I get to be a dad there. I get to be a husband because I'm hanging out with my wife. Everyone gets whatever food they want. You run into right. all your friends. I run into employees and it's just kind of this big kind of happy place for me. And it's not possible right now. And all the zoom happy hours in the world kind of don't create that feeling that I get when I'm actually with the people I care about. Totally agree. I just want to point out common themes here of sugar, caffeine, and alcohol. And it's all good, but there's some common themes here. Nobody asked, but I'll provide it anyway. Mine is really, really silly. I love swimming. And this is the longest I've ever gone without swimming that I can ever remember, to be honest with you. And because I live in New York and it's cold out and my pool's not very big in my backyard, but the YMCA, I love that organization and I love that pool and I miss my swimming friends and swimming to me is meditative. The way you kind of just the water kind of washes over you. I don't listen to anything. So it's like nobody can like, I don't have Slack. I don't have text. I don't have email. I have all this like digital bullshit, which I know we need in this age to work and live and communicate. But in the water, you are really one. And I miss it. I really miss it. And I cannot wait to get back in the water. 
I'm even contemplating going into like a local lake that is high 50 degrees in a wetsuit and just kind of dealing because I just don't care anymore. Cold water therapy, it's all good. But I want everybody who's listened to this podcast to remember both now and then in the post-pandemic era to please patronize these businesses. Whether you need a tent for your event, whether you need coconut water, whether you need a drink, or if you want to donate to an amazing organization called Lemon Tree to help people who are dealing with very severe food insecurity, please, please, please help support these businesses because they've supported everybody else during this incredibly, incredibly trying time. So thank you all so much, so much. Virtual hugs to all of you for being on the show. Aaron, this was great. Thank you. So nice to meet everyone. And I can't wait to meet all of you in person one day. Thanks for having us, Aaron. Thank you. This has been an episode of Brand on Purpose with Aaron Quickkin, the podcast dedicated to uncovering the untold stories of entrepreneurs and senior leaders who make it their brand's mission to do well by doing good. Special thanks to our amazing team, including the voice you never hear, producer extraordinaire Lindsay Hand, and the always on point associate producer Katrina Walkley, who touches every aspect of this podcast. Learn more about our show at brandonpurpose.com. Follow our Instagram at the Bop Podcast. And learn more about our host at AaronQuicken.com. Mm-hmm.